0: Greetings and hello to everyone. This is the Business of Betting podcast, and I am your host, Jake Williams. Today is episode thirty-eight, and we have the Parlay Queen joining the show, Monique, the Parlay Queen is from Toronto, Canada, and is a horse racing and sports betting handicapper. Monique talks to us about her local horse track at Woodbine, prop betting on sports, pick sixes, in-play wagering, and the ins and outs of betting in Canada. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au And support this podcast by using promo code B-O-B-POD. Please gamble responsibly. As always, you can find us at businessofbetting.com or at bettingpod on Twitter. Please fire in any questions or feedback and potential guests you would like to hear from. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy my chat with Monique, the Parlay Queen. Today I'm joined by the Parlay Queen. Monique, thank you very much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to discuss everything.
0: So let's, where are you from originally? Where, are you, where did you grow up? Where, where's the accent from for those Aussie listeners who are, who are interested?
1: I was going to say, I should be the one asking you about the accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've grown up in my whole life, Toronto, Canada.
0: Okay. And when did you start in the betting, sports, horse racing industries? I know you're a horse racing fan and we'll get to that. And I know you, you like your sports as well, but where did it all start out for you?
1: Well, I've always grown up around the track and betting in general. Sports were always on, and I've always been a huge perfectionist. So that's one of the things which have always driven me to sports betting in general. I love the thrill of placing a bet and seeing the reward from putting in the hard work. So sports betting and capping are, I would say, an ever-evolving game. So I love that no two events are the exact same, and there's always a different angle or a new approach to take. So I've always loved that competitive aspect of it.
0: So what was it like when you first were exposed to handicapping or capping, as you say, and, and horses? Were you very, very young or did you sort of catch on in your teenage years? What was the first few experiences you had with horses and, and betting on them?
1: Well, I mean, I, I grew up at the racetrack pretty much. My dad had a couple standard bread which is Totally different style than thoroughbred, and I mean, it's probably more of a North American thing. But uh, he grew up with a couple horses, so I've always loved betting in that sense. I placed a couple wagers very, very young, and they were more simplistic. It would be just the way a horse looks or a number or stuff like that. But um, yeah, the earlier days for me were... Actually, surprisingly, a lot more parlays and just looking to bet small and cash big. Um, I was enticed by those futures where you only need to put in a little bit to try to yield a big return. Um, and yeah, it was a lot less competitive, uh, the sports betting scene. You didn't necessarily see the line movement you do now when they're constantly changing. And nowadays, if you don't find something you like, you can shop around for a line that's more what you're looking for and discipline for me now is everything and not trying to force a spot or force a
0: bet okay and back at the track were there bookmakers everywhere people you know in the grandstands watching horses was it wildly popular or was it sort of going a little bit out of vogue as it seems to be nowadays
1: yeah, it, it kind of was like that. I mean, obviously, on the bigger days, people will all come out. People always, people want to be out for events in general, so having that is cool. Like the, the marquee events. Like for me, I grew up about ten minutes away from Woodbine, where they run, uh, like I said, standard bread racing. Uh, pretty much the whole entire year, they go to a different track, which is like ten minutes away, but it's under the same circuit. And then the thoroughbred racing was pretty much the summer months, but it was recently now where they run the whole year which I mean it's it's daunting and it's a totally different handicapping style but people will come out for the big days but yeah it's it's definitely dying down but the convenience of being able to bet from your phone or bet online it's just you know it doesn't really see the same crowds it used to where you had to bet at a track or an otb now you just you you can pretty much bet anywhere so there's not really that incentive to be there unless you want to be there for the atmosphere
0: yeah certainly things are changing that's for sure so what about when you, I guess, decided that you wanted to do, you know, sports betting, horse racing betting, or just betting in general, as part of your sort of making a living, when when did that sort of click in your head?
1: Uh, it was probably second year university, and I was uh, just tweeting something on—I don't even know—ranting. I think it was, to be honest, I think it was about golf, and it's one of those sports which I never got into. But I just remember making a tweet about it, and I got a little bit of traction on what i said i I don't know what it was it was i don't know i was trying to be funny so i'd like to say it was a good tweet but who knows at this point but uh yeah i got contacted by covers and they wanted to give me um like an opportunity to and i started doing like um injury reports, head to head, stuff like that. And it was through that, I realized that no matter what I would be putting in the work for handicapping and analysis and just to be able to be paid for that. It's something that I've, I've loved. And to, you know, it's, it's one of those things where the field is it's competitive and it's smaller and not a lot of people are, you know, not a lot of people are getting into something like this, but if it's something you have a background in and a passion in it's, you could definitely make it work.
0: What about while you were at university? Were you able to bet? Were you able to spend a lot of that time doing it? Or were you stuck in classes and partying the whole time? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I was I was bad in the sense I have always been one of those people who I'm doing like 10 things at once. For me it's uh I don't know what it is. It was like not really an attention thing because I could definitely devote my attention, but I always felt like I needed to keep myself busy and stimulated no matter what it was. So yeah, I would uh I would sneak in a couple of uh sports beds during a lecture and <laughs> when I when I had time, the commute because uh Toronto just the infrastructure in general it's it's ridiculously impossible to, you know, drive down and commute yourself during rush hour. So, I would take sometimes the subway home and I, you know, what else are you going to do besides handicap? So, I would print out, like, the racing form and handicap on the way home and all that. So, I definitely made time to do well in school and racing and bets.
0: Very nice. Was there any overlap with your studies and your betting? Were you delving into any sort of mathematics or finance, accounting, those things? Or were you just... um you know like everyone else doing something that wasn't that relevant to sports betting and that was sort of part of the passion and fire and that always took you sort of that direction
1: yeah it was uh for me in school i always i always wanted to do something after the fact, I didn't want my my undergraduate degree to just be an undergraduate degree. I always thought I would pursue like po- something post-secondary as well. Like I wanted to do like take the LSATs and get into law school. So I've tried not to close my windows in that sense. But throughout school, I took English pretty much all English and American studies. So it was really a lot more literature and essay writing. So for me, actually breaking down numbers and um, analyzing trends and that stuff, it was totally different than what I was used to. So I think that's partially what also drew me into sports betting as well.
0: Interesting. Do you use any of that now? I guess you probably your articles and things like that might be useful in terms of some of the English, but um, the rest of it, I guess it's analytical type stuff using that. Uh, information that you have to delve through, and there can be a lot out there.
1: It's true. You you have to really. It depends what you're looking for, what type of spot you're looking for to bet, and obviously, you know, articles that are more stats based are useful in the sense that you could just. Um, divulge into numbers and break down those numbers but there's definitely an approach to just reading pure journalistic based articles and seeing you know beat writers for example are something i love to look into because at the end of the day people that are so passionate about their team they can sometimes provide an analysis which you wouldn't get as someone who's not in the country not in the city and it's just these are people that are so devoted to their team that the information you can get from them is in my opinion invaluable
0: so what is betting like in canada and has it evolved a lot since you sort of started to now i know sort of online and mobile probably has but what was available back then and i guess to now what what's the overall sort of betting system like there for those who aren't aware
1: it's uh, incredibly convenient. So anywhere where lottery is sold, like convenience stores, gas stations will offer you sports bets. I think it, part of that uh, reduces the stigma because it's so readily available. Um, it's it's very, very, very convenient. Uh, and it's always been that way. I know it's not like that in the United States, but for us, it's... It, it has evolved in the sense that it used to be way more simplistic but now they have um they have something called pools where you can bet every single bet the straight up winner of each game and obviously there's spreads and there's props and i mean i love that uh, unfortunately you're so it's so important the amount of money that goes into the pools and that's how it's being diversified whereas you don't really know your return on investment a lot of the time and i mean they cap you at betting a hundred dollars so i mean you can put that ticket through a couple times so yeah. you increase that but unfortunately you're pretty much capped and limited in that sense but it, it's just so convenient here
0: Yeah, that sounds good, actually, compared to the US and a few other jurisdictions, it sounds pretty open. So I want to talk about horse racing. What is your style or approach to handicapping? How do you think about a race, for example?
1: Yeah, I usually like to find a key horse and try to build a ticket around that. For me, price does not matter because you can always change the base of your wager to potentially yield a higher return. A lot of people are very anti betting the chalk. And for me, at the end of the day, if, if that's who you think is going to win the race and you think there'll be long shots uh, beneath the horse of finishing second, third, or fourth, or just in like a pick four or pick five wager, you can definitely make money in that sense. Um, I think my approach is to bet races where the purses are higher, I tend to find that the effort is usually there, and horses tend to run more true to form. Um, Conversely, I also like maidens and first-time runners, because you can usually decipher a lot um, out of future clues from breeding lines, workout times, and what you can physically see. The public tends to back the big-name trainers and expensive purchases rather than try to decipher who will excel at the distance. So for me, I tend to bet the big money races, so like the derbies and grade one races, but there's a lot of money to be made in betting maidens and first-time starters.
0: Absolutely. And w- did you sort of go through the, the whole sort of Bill Benter years and the rating systems and, and all that sort of stuff, or were you just – going in and and analyzing that race, those horses, that information, and, and putting it all together, I guess, on paper or in your head.
1: Um, I try to do more research, which isn't necessarily available in the past performances. So for me, I like to rewatch races. I think it's really important because at the end of the day, when you see a line that a horse has ran, you don't necessarily see the full picture. You can kind of see if they ran into some traffic trouble or were forced too wide. You, You can kind of see that. But when you watch a race, you can pretty much decipher all the things and read in between the lines. So I love that aspect of it. And yeah, people are betting for the most part, whether it be a name trainer or something that they know. People are betting based on the past performances. People aren't really putting in. I mean, some are, and I think you get rewarded for that. They're not really putting in, I would say, the effort required to you know catch a huge price or you know hit a huge exotic wager so i think that the more effort you put in the more you'll be rewarded in that sense
0: so what percentage of your time and effort and energy goes into betting on horses is it more of a you know fun pastime that you sort of engage in when you can and you focus more on sports or is it still a primary sort of focus is handicapping horses
1: Um, it's, it's tough for me. Like I said, I like to bet when the races are a lot more competitive, so you don't get that pretty much the whole year round which which sucks in that sense but uh yeah it's uh i try to at least like i'll look at it on the weekends because i like when the pools are bigger you know i don't want to be one of those people that are betting hundreds of dollars into a thousand dollar pool i mean what what are you really expecting in that sense so i i do look over it usually thursday night and i'll try to handicap the saturday and sunday races because that's when I find the pools to be the biggest and most people paying attention to racing in that sense. But yeah, it's, it's a weekly thing for me still.
0: And are you focusing Toronto and the, you mentioned before standard breads? are you, you know, looking more broadly, all of Canada, the U S what sort of, to what extent can you sort of indulge in handicapping?
1: Well, for me, I bet through horse player interactive, which is like the American equivalent would be like TVG or, uh, stuff like that. Um, For me, there's just so many different races. You can pretty much bet any track, but I'm most comfortable with the North American racing scene. Um, Toronto betting, I've never been that big of a fan of, uh, to be honest. Woodbine, I find, well, I do love their turf course, and that's one of the best in North America. Uh, I do tend to find that I love the when races are more competitive and the purses are smaller here and the field size is a lot smaller. So for me, my main tracks would be like Santa Anita or Del Mar, I love the California circuit, um, or Belmont. Rethink the way you see sport. Every action or play can be represented by a series of numbers. When you analyze this data, patterns begin to emerge. If you follow these patterns and develop systems, you can play the game within the game. Betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly.
0: So are you a sports fan? Are you a a Raptors fan? Or how did you get involved uh, in sports betting? Was it through fandom initially?
1: It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. Um, I love the Raptors. They're one. They're definitely my team. And now they've they've been so successful and growing up. I grew up well, I was born in like the Vince Carter days. So for me, growing up in that aspect and just seeing the way Toronto has taken to basketball, I've I've loved that. But I I really do try so hard to stay away from a bias. Yeah. So I. I I really do try to remove myself, so if I want to, you know, I'll, I'll I'll try to stay away from Raptors games. I'll go to them and enjoy that, but I won't really try to invest too heavily in that because I do think there's a huge bias just having a favorite team. But no, it uh, it was never really like that. I've that's one thing I've always learned because you, you just get so shielded by the things you love, and it's so hard to bet against that. So I've just tried to stay away from that at pretty much all costs.
0: What's the sports betting culture like, I guess, in Toronto and Canada? Um, I grew up in Australia, and there's obviously plenty of horse racing, plenty of sports betting going on, relatively open, accepted. Everyone's sort of comfortable with it. Most people will sort of know who the favorite is, for example, and things like that. Is is it much the same in Canada, or is it a little bit different?
1: It's, it's gotten a lot more... I guess acceptable with like daily fantasy. A lot of people like that. You don't really need to spend a lot of money to get involved in that sense. And it's, I think it's a North American thing too, where you have your March Madness pools, where you just pick the winner of each each of those, or square pools, stuff like that. When you have those, it's office office bets and things like that. When you have that available, it's a lot less of a stigma. It's a lot more convenient, but yeah, I've uh, I found most people know what's going on within the Toronto sports scene, but there's there's obviously more sports which people are more familiar with. So for for us, most of us grew up. Well, I didn't personally, but most people grew up playing hockey, so the NHL has been something that most people are into, and obviously the Leafs are just a huge market. The tickets are ridiculously expensive, so I think it more so depends on the sport, but I do find that Toronto is a pretty sports-heavy city. Like You'll see people out and about for the major events.
0: So are people preferring to bet on, I guess recreationally anyway? People in your circles or or just, you know, regular fans, are they going to be betting on the Leafs and the Raptors much more than NFL, for example? Or is it still in line with, I guess, North American preferences and Sunday's sort of the holy grail in the afternoon in the Eastern time zone anyway? And um, everyone's sort of in line with the general sort of approach to sports betting.
1: Well, they've tried here because... In, in uh in America it's just it's football it's football 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 when yep. it when the that's literally all you have at the for the most part everything stops and the world stops for college football and american football and I, I love that. That's probably my favorite sport. But they've tried to do – so for us in Toronto, they've tried to bring the the Bills here and they've tried to – they've do, done a couple of events and they're trying to get people more into it. But I would say most people are, are into the sports where we have a team to root for because people aren't really betting the Canadian Football League. I mean, the only people I really <laughs> see betting it are just huge degenerate Americans, which, <laughs> you know, are just looking for a play but I mean it's it's not big here um but yeah our biggest sports are probably basketball and definitely hockey
0: interesting so what's it like for a Canadian sports bet and you don't have to speak personally but in general is there many online options and there's absolutely no trouble getting bets down get moving your money and things like that you mentioned before about you know local shops where you can go in and obviously bet and people around the world in certain jurisdictions would know about that but what's in general sort of the approach for a regular sports better if they're if they're based in canada
1: uh, betting online is super convenient. Uh, I've never run in, into any problems. I've used, uh, bet 365, sports interaction are probably our two biggest. And I know they're not available for U.S. residents, which is honestly unfortunate because they have super competitive lines and it's very, very convenient. Uh, you just link it up to your bank and then you could do it that sense, uh, or credit card if you want to do it that way. And the cash out is pretty much instant as long as you have a good, Uh, way that you deposited it Uh, I've never run into any problems in that sense and they're very good bet 365 in particular with the online betting and in-game betting Um, they're very competitive with that and they offer pretty much every sport you want so I like that and it's it's very convenient to bet online
0: very different to the United States that's for sure Uh, so what's your general approach to sports betting are you handicapping a match or an event and then thinking about where you want to attack different areas or do you go in with a different mindset i know you've mentioned prop betting before you mentioned even in game we can touch on a couple of those as we go but just in general what do you think about when you sort of sit down and get ready to and attack uh, a any type of sporting event
1: Yeah, to be perfectly honest, I'll bet anything I believe I have a perceived edge in. Um, I think that as a bettor, my strengths lay in prop betting. Um, It's where I focus most of my time, and I find the particular research that I do is best suited for that style of bet. Um, I love betting a player who may be entering with the chip on their shoulder or playing with a contract bonus or incentive. I like to look into trends and try to form conclusions on that. So... I also really love uh, team totals, especially getting them in play. So you'll often see team totals dip when a team doesn't necessarily get off to a strong start. And I think that when watching the game, you can really see how the game is playing out before committing to a number. So for me, uh, in-game betting has really revolutionized the way you can, you can bet. You're not forced to lock in something before and having uh, an option to cash out if things are going your way and also about 365, they offer uh, where if your team for NHL, for example, if your team goes up 3 nothing, they'll cash out a money line bet as a win. Or in basketball, if your team goes up, I believe it's 18 points now, and you have a money line wager on that, they'll cash it out as a win as well. So I think that while, you know, you're really seeing that when the spreads are huge and the money line's kind of not really worth betting, I think just if you can ever find like a pick em, And take a money line wager on that and just get paid out on that before the game's even over. I think that's super competitive. And it's, yeah, it's the way to go.
0: So, prop betting, do you go online and look at the available markets and, for example, the head to heads, or it's, you know, they probably don't have every player necessarily, I'm guessing, but they probably have a fair few. Do you go on and think, okay, Julio Jones under over, you know, 97 and a half yards and then dig into that, or do you think about it more broadly?
1: I try to make my own line uh, before looking at anything. Uh, for football, for example, I think you can easily get influenced by seeing a line. So I try to look at his stats for him, for example, I'd look at his stats beforehand and see the matchup in particular, like who's who's the cornerback that's gonna be covering him and how well does he do versus a particular team, for example. Um, has he is he coming off a bad game? Uh, does he have a contract extension in the picture? And I I try to come up with a number that I like, and if I can find a huge discrepancy between my what I perceive his uh, what would be an appropriate under over for him, if I can get it at let's say I put it at 83.5 and a half, and I see it at like 65 and a half, then I'll definitely I'll definitely increase my units per wager on that one and I'll go pretty heavily on that but it's important to know like for football you know whoever you really want to bet will be available to bet yeah but for NBA for example you're not getting all the matchups so I do for NBA I do tend to look into who's available beforehand and then maybe change the way I approach that but it's pretty much the same thing I do like to make a number that I think is suitable and then
0: bet based on that do you find that the the numbers that they're putting out are pretty pretty good, pretty competitive? I guess with DFS and you know projected fantasy points and things like that, there's a lot more work going into those fantasy scores, and therefore you can often extrapolate out and, and figure out what the yards total might look like. Are you finding that there's still a fair bit of an edge because they're probably they're not sort of high volume markets? Let's put it so you know there's probably not as much time and effort going into them, and you can get ten point different. Uh, 10-yard differentials, for example, on, on receivers, or is it pretty tight?
1: It's pretty tight. It's it's very competitive. I find the best you'll get is early on, a couple weeks into the season, you'll still find huge value and they won't really know exactly where to put a player, but once you have a huge, you know, set of numbers for them and they've already been playing 10-15 games, the numbers are spot on. I find that if a player's coming off injury or they were sitting the last game for example, I find that I would say it's probably an algorithm that uh, picks out what the number is going to be and goes that way because they're, they're, they're very competitive. Like The lines are super competitive. I find if a player comes off injury a lot of the time, the numbers will be a lot lower than they should be. And it's also, I'm sure at this point, it's so advanced that they're taking into consideration the matchup. Yeah. And the matchup really plays into account the number. But I think... More than anything, with props, you can still find an edge, but it's a lot of the time when you're looking at it, you're like, wow, that's exactly where I'd put it, or it's going to be within one to two yards, and that's terrifying for a sports better when you're – when when you see the results and it's you lose by half a yard, like that's 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 tough. <laughs> that's that's a tough beat. Yeah, it's uh I, I just love prop betting. Just I think it more so plays into my strengths and just being able to figure out which matchup works and just which player is playing with an extra incentive, for example. And I think that that just more so plays into my strengths. But it it used to be a lot less competitive. But like you were saying with daily fantasy, they're just they have a really good understanding of what a player is probably going to finish with stats wise. And that's reflected by their totals.
0: Yeah. And do you prefer NFL where it's a small sample size, you know, 16 game seasons or NBA where there's a lot of games um, going on and you can get a good grasp of what a player is over a longer period of time? Or do you just, you know, doesn't bother you either way?
1: For me, I think, I much prefer uh, prop bets for NBA. And I think that's partially due to just there being so many different players to choose from. And just, just because of that, I feel the line is a little bit less competitive. I think when you choose like the marquee, the big name player, the Steph Curry's, you're always going to find an overinflated line. So I think there's a lot of value in taking the under for those marquee players. But if you bet, really early and you're in before you know the, the roster locks and who you're sure is going to be a starter if you can ever get lucky in the sense that you think someone's going to be sitting maybe due to injury you saw it and it's not reported yet if you can ever get an early and take that player who's going to be starting in their position or see a jump in minutes because of that you're getting fantastic odds on that and it'll be it'll be Edited and changed, or probably even taken off the board later. But that's the advantage to betting early, I'd say, and especially with NBA.
0: Is that through beat and, and Twitter and things like that? You can find that information.
1: I mostly find it through Twitter. Yeah, and uh, you have to check your source. Obviously, it's really important to do that. But you'll find it. You'll find it way more quickly on Twitter um, once it gets broke into an espn you'll everyone knows at yeah. that point but you know, twitter twitter is probably the best for having things out right away right when it happens and you can just even read into people who literally like devote their life into following particular teams so the beat writers or even not even just beat writers just people that you know you, you could see what they said or someone got injured late in a game and didn't look themselves and just reading into that and you know for example like a like a big player like Joel and is the first one that comes to mind they won't be playing him on back to backs Mm -hmm. so a lot of the time like when he when he did play his first back to back you know I, I was all over the under on that sense but a lot of the time you'll have it where you won't be well he'll come out as a line but then he'll be taken off the board because he won't be playing and when he's taken off the board everyone else's numbers will go up so betting in early even if you don't want that particular player there's that huge advantage in that sense
0: yeah absolutely and what about content wise do you Let's take NFL do you you know need football outsiders information or pro football focus or do you use that type of information and find it useful or are you happy using public sources and figuring that out yourself
1: That stuff's very very helpful but a lot of the time it's more so just that they're basing these numbers and you know what it could be that last year a certain player struggled versus a certain team but obviously each year the teams are totally different so or the players totally different they could evolve it could be a rookie year going into something later on it's it's tough to really really look into matchups and be like well, statistically, this has happened versus a certain team, and hold that with so much so much weight. I think you have to really of course it's 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 nice to know if a certain team struggles versus another team, and that's historically been the case, and they 've just been that way, perhaps due to coaching, perhaps due to players, whatever it may be, that's, you know, that's a little bit of incentive and something that you could have that's useful for you. But I think it's very, very intimidating having all those, having all those things available for you. And I think a lot of the time you can become too attached to trends. So for the most part i get my information from from google i just look into whatever it is i think is is useful so i'll look into how many yard how many receptions uh teams surrender to tight ends for a season i'll do that and then if it's a tight end who gets a lot of receptions generally perhaps that's a play that you may consider
0: yeah uh, that makes sense makes sense so you mentioned before team totals in play for example and I want to talk a little bit about in-game betting. Uh, Are you always thinking about things in terms of sort of regressing to the mean? And if, you know, a high-scoring team comes out all guns blazing, they're going to sort of slow down or vice versa. If uh, back in the old Thunder days with sort of Durant, Westbrook, and Harden, if they scored 12 points in the first quarter, you know, the chances are based on the the pregame total, they're going to sort of accelerate things. How do you think about sort of in-game betting?
1: If I think I want to bet a team and I think the spread is is a little bit too high, I'll probably wait for in-game in the sense that I know it's going to go down. But then, conversely, if a team that's a big spread already gets out to a huge lead, you'll never have an opportunity to bet them again. Um, I do love to see the way a team's playing. So if they're playing really careless with a bunch of turnovers early, um, if they're forced by the opposition I, I tend to lean towards... I mean, I, I won't hold that much weight. I'll think that a, a defense is just playing better than perhaps their stats, or they're just playing better. But if a team's playing very careless and you could tell the incentive or the drive is not there, I'll probably stay away from that one. Um, I never used to bet uh, NBA, for example, or NHL, where there's so many games in a season. I would kind of wait till the postseason to bet. So now that I am actually betting on a a daily basis, I'm very, very picky in my spots. And I'm really, when I'm in-game betting, I'm really looking towards, you know, the long-term. Like, does this game hold that much meaning to a team? Like, if they get down 20 points early, are they still going to have that drive to come back after that deficit or are they just going to be a team that's going to pull their starters and perhaps wait until next day or if they're on a back-to-back or just how much of an incentive is it for them to get that win whereas when it's closer to the end of a postseason or in the postseason obviously no starters are getting pulled they're going to have that motivation to play out of their mind or play closer to what you think their potential is. But it's tough betting it on a daily basis, but I think there is a huge upside to, if you actually watch the game fully, to perhaps wait a little bit and see what the in-game lines are showing you.
0: Yeah, and do you, in, in your in-game betting, do you lock in and approach pre-game? So, if you, NFL, for example, if you love a team at minus seven, but you, may don't, you maybe don't want to take minus seven necessarily, you want to wait... Do you then have that locked in and know that if it drops to, let's say, minus two and a half, for example, there's no reason why you wouldn't take it, even if they look sluggish, even if they, you know, had a sloppy turnover in an NFL game that's not ideal. Uh, will you ever lock that in, or you're always evaluating on the fly all the time?
1: I wish I could say that I was always evaluating, but when it's, when it's seven and it's down to two, for example, yeah, I'll lock it in for sure. Or if it's a spread even higher and then it goes down. I think that because of, I think perhaps, but this is just like hypothetical but yeah. i would say that a lot of the time if a spread is big before the game and it goes down really low if that team that's behind ends up scoring the spreads are going to go back to what it was before the game or even higher than that so from that you can actually cash out make a little bit of a profit or cash out even if you're not feeling too good about it but i think yeah i think you know teams that are double-digit spreads in the NFL if they're going into a game being a double-digit favorite a lot of the time it's for for good reason especially if they're not the Patriots especially if it's a team like that where you know the public isn't necessarily in love and just backing the team based on namesake if they are that big of a spread going into a game I think yeah I think there's a lot of merit to waiting and getting a bet in when it's lower than you perceive the total to be
0: no it makes sense we could talk about this for hours sadly we have to move on to other topics because i only have you for a certain amount of time i want to talk about just general betting principles and you probably you know have a lot it sounds like if you're an english major you've probably delved into some of the gambling and betting literature if there's if you can call it that what are some of the things that you sort of think about from a either money management perspective or certain discipline bet sizing i mean There's a million different things, but what are some of the ones that stand out to you as a core part of your, I guess, long-term viewpoint? If you want to be sports betting for a long time, what are some of the things that you value the most?
1: I try my hardest not to chase a loss, no matter how tempting it is, or no matter what's available later on. Um, I try to keep my units similar. So I keep a bankroll where one loss isn't going to be crippling. I think it's really important to hope for the best, but to prepare for the worst. So betting every day or every other day has to be looked at as a long-term investment. And you have to try to stay hungry and humble and not be phased by a bad streak or, conversely, by a huge heater. Uh, You can't start changing your units unit size just because you've been doing well recently. So I think obviously discipline is, is key not forcing wagers and just sticking to what you know, if you know, if you're, your niche or whatever it is, there's going to be a bet available for you. Uh, don't force it. It's nice to have a little bit of action on, you know, a sporting event. I'm I'm the first one to get a <laughs> get a bet in on whatever it is. But I think it's important to bet based on that. Obviously, if you've done a lot of research and you're super comfortable and confident, sure, increase your unit size a little bit. But to bet. What round or how a fighter is going to win a UFC event, for example, and getting those inflated totals. Yeah, they're fun, and you're getting you know thousand to one on that. But really, like at the end of the day, what are the odds of that really happening? And you got to take that into consideration too, and not be phased by those huge payouts. Let's talk price. Unlike bookies and toads, the Betfair Exchange is a low-margin buy/sell fixed odds marketplace. Where the value stays with the punter, not the house. Ready for the game within the game? Join betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly.
0: Based on your horse racing experiences, what can you tell those who are either looking for a bucket list experience in the North American region, um, or for myself, actually, who now lives here, who's looking for some of the best experiences in terms of uh, you know horse racing and some of the things to obviously the triple crown everyone's heard of but what are some of the other things outside of the triple crown that you can advise all of the listeners on
1: i think it depends where in the city you are and what atmosphere you're looking for so california racing is is somewhere where it's a lot it's a lot fancier it's it's more of the atmosphere than anything you know del mar you're you're by the ocean that's beautiful uh competitive races are awesome. Uh, like I was saying to you, uh, if you're anywhere in New York, uh, Saratoga Springs in upstate New York is definitely the summer place to be. Uh, they're racing from the end of July until Labor Day. So, And these are some of the best horses in North America. These are the horses you will see, you have seen in the Triple Crown most likely. And these are horses that you'll see going into the breeders. And the racing is so competitive and it's a town that's pretty much devoted to horse racing. So the town basically comes alive during the racing season, and myself personally I've been down there two summers in a row, and it's it's amazing. The track is running so many days a week, and there's always people and because it's the summer, the weather is great the horses are are top notch and the atmosphere I think in racing if you're going to go out to the track and be there i think it's important to have an atmosphere where there's a lot of people there people that are so passionate about racing i think that's infectious and i for me i i love getting dressed up i love going to the events but if you're looking for anything like that or even just something that's super competitive with big pools saratoga springs in the summer is just definitely the place to be
0: that goes on the bucket list then i've heard of a few different places but um Saratoga keeps coming up, so uh, I'll definitely add that. Before I let you go, I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing with covers. You mentioned you started out at university. What are you doing with them now? What are you doing sort of publicly? I know you're pretty popular on, on Twitter and gambling Twitter, and we don't have time to get into that beautiful discussion. But um, take us through some of the stuff you're doing publicly now.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I've mostly I found that there's been a pretty warm reception to prop betting. I think people people like that. I think being able to bet your favorite player, whether or not that's your favorite team, but to bet a player and just have that to root for i think that's been something people have been really receptive to i've done a couple pick six we call them pick six wagers and they're prop bets um i give out some horse racing plays i like over the weekend so i try to focus on plays that'll give you value um and if i do like something that's really chalky I'll, i'll try to advise how to bet that um I, like, I think the videos are something that people are really into just because they're short, they're concise, and, you know, it, it's not that intimidating where you don't really have to break down the numbers or have to read paragraphs upon paragraphs to see why someone likes what they like. But to, just to give a couple sentences into why you like something, I think if someone's looking for something to bet, I think that's useful. Uh, but yeah, props have been what I've been, I guess, putting out there on Twitter, um, for me, I'll, I'll tend to I tend to post. I try. I don't tend to, but I try <laughs> to post a couple props that I like, whether it be NBA. I know I'll be more into NHL during the postseason, so I try to get a couple bets out there. Obviously. I'm not trying to tout anything or make money off of plays. I just, for me, I love the interaction of being able to share what I like and seeing the reception on that. Like, I do really take into account what other people have to say. I think you can learn so much from someone just by hearing the way they break down a game or just maybe a stat that you weren't familiar with. So I think that interaction of Twitter is super helpful for pretty much anyone in just, you know, knowing where the information is coming from and being able to take what interests you or appeals to you, I think is really useful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, that's definitely true. There's some good and bad on Twitter, but if you can uh, filter out the noise and some of the bad, the good is definitely there. So by the way, your Twitter handle before I let you go?
1: It's at Parlay Queen.
0: There you go, Monique. Thank you very much for your time. This is a lot of fun and I hope to see you at Saratoga Springs one day.
1: Thank you so much. You better be there (laughs) this summer. You only have a couple weeks, so start planning ahead. (laughs)
0: Like I said, it's on the list. Good. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank
1: you so much. Residents
0: of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au. And please support this podcast by using promo code B-O-B-POD. Gamble responsibly.